And as you're doing that, you know, what a uh, sacred duty and joy it is to praise God continually with our lips. That time of worship right now is just so amazing. And, you know, we know that worship and praise is absolutely essential if we are to truly honor him. And we should weave worship into all parts of our lives. Not just silent worship of the heart, but verbal worship of the lips. It was the heart of worship and praise in the life of David that kept him pursuing the Lord, even when he felt overwhelmed by his enemies. It's worship and praise that keeps us patiently pursuing God when the storms of life come and surround us. It's worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth that we can remain joyful when the weight of life just comes crashing on us. And tonight as we go through the book of Psalms, we are going to see just a magnificent portrait of hope that we have in Christ. We're going to witness how God clearly promises to exalt his own people before the world's eyes and how God displayed his greatness as we go back and forth from the time of David into the millennial kingdom. Um, but more importantly, is we can see how we can be victorious worshipers today. It's God's name and God's fame that is to be exalted in the lives of his people, his saints. Praise and glory shall be before all the nations of the earth, and only, and one day it will be because of the continual transforming work within his people because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And tonight I want to encourage you as we read these psalms to focus, focus on the passages of praise. Focus on the passages of praise and, and keep in mind now that in the midst of our battles, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, the ultimate end of the new covenant transformation and the greatest motivation for pursuing him is worship and praise. I'm going to attempt to go through four psalms tonight. We're going to see a missionary psalm, a battle march, a psalm of suffering, and an urgent cry for help. I title this message, The Praise of His People. The Praise of His People. Psalm 67 here, as we start, he opens up and says, this, this psalmist says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Father, as we come before you this evening, God, in your word, Father, we ask, God, that you would minister to us, Father, with your word, Father. As we come, God, we want to be filled, God, with the urgency to apply, God, all that you have for us, Lord, through your word, God. And as we hear you speak to us, God, may you open up our eyes to the importance of praise and worship and through the trials and through the suffering, God, and through the persecution, God, Lord, we know that praise and worship, God, is something that can uplift us and draw us back to you, God. Illuminate our hearts, fill us with your truth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Psalm 67 here is 
a, uh, a doxology. We learned last time that doxology is, is praise. Uh, it's a song. Um, we, we see here there's a, um, three main points. Um, verses 1 through 2, we're going to see a prayer uh, for light. Verses 3 through 5, we're going to see a prayer for joy. And verses 6 through 7, we're going to see promise and praise. Now, we have a kingdom song, psalm here. It, it focuses on praise. And it's always God's, it was always God's intention, right, for Israel all along to show forth his goodness to the world, to the nations. But it didn't exactly happen that way, right? So this missionary psalm here is in anticipation of the good news, the good news, the gospel, encircling the earth, and it exhorts us, this message tonight, to be those missionary-minded believers, and we reflect that through praise and worship as we look at his promise. Again here, the psalmist is quoting in this first uh, verse, Psalm 625, and we see here again, God, be merciful to us, bless us, or be gracious to us, cause your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God, be gracious to us, shine upon us. Lord, be gracious towards us, the psalmist is praying, and shine upon us that what? We can be a reflection, a reflection of you. It's when we're a reflection of him that others can be blessed. It's, Lord, bless me that I can be a blessing to others, that your way and your salvation may be known among all the nations. We see that when God delivers his people and he showers them with blessings, our response is that we give him glory and pray that others would also experience his salvation and discipleship. Our desire should be for those walking in darkness, and that's why we see here a need for the light. For those who are walking in darkness, they need to see someone radiating the light of Christ so that they could witness his saving power. Again, it's when God blesses us that we can bless others, being his witnesses, leading others to put their faith in Jesus Christ, living our lives in joyful obedience to him, and then giving him the glory among all the nations. I like in Matthew 5.16 when Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The psalmist here now is entering that prayer for joy with praise and shouts of joy of, over the greatness of God and the justices he establishes. In Psalm 22, verse 27, he says, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. They'll all bow down before him. All the nations on the earth, on the earth, but guess what? under the earth as well. Philippians 2.10 says, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow 
of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. The entire world is going to glorify the Father. So these verses here are, are interesting, though, because you know, it's a reference of the inclusion of the Gentile nations in the millennial kingdom. We're looking into the millennial kingdom now. And Jesus is coming again. We know that. He's going to come judge the earth. And he's going to reign righteously. He's going to govern over all the nations upon the earth. And when he comes back to the earth, all those nations who survived this tribulation period are going to be judged. Not us, though, because we have already been raptured. And we are, in, uh, we are already glorified as his bride but he is going to judge. And how is he going to judge? Righteously. Righteously. You might ask, well, you know, what about my kids? What about um, that person in that foreign country where they're in a, you know, a third world country that never heard the gospel? Or what about, um, you know, someone, you know, who can't read? What we do know is that God is going to judge righteously. We know, too, that, you know, our kids under the age of accountability are safe. And my wife, you know, would ask me sometimes, are we going to see our sons, you know, grow up? I don't know. The rapture might take place at any second. Will we see him in heaven? I believe so. He's going, to, he's, he'll, he's going to bring them up with us. But when you reach an age of accountability and you know right from wrong you must be born again and he's going to judge righteously but if we're walking with the Lord again we can be sure that being found in Christ your sin has already been judged on the cross as you continue to put your faith your hope and trust in Jesus Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin has left its crimson stain he washed it white as snow. Let all the nations praise you, he says in verse 5. And our response, regardless of blessing, is to praise him. Praise is a fruit of obedience, and when we praise him, others see him, which leads them to salvation, which ignites further praise, and God is magnified and glorified and exalted. And we see, as we continue, as we finish this psalm, let the peoples praise you, O God, verse 5. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Lastly, we see that promise and praise that the psalmist acknowledges how God has blessed them with a bountiful harvest. It's that bountiful harvest that is produced and increased when there's a reverence for God when there's a fear of God. It's as we fervently pray that God would be merciful to his people and bless us, as we see going back to the beginning of this psalm, that his face shines upon us, verse 2. And as his face shines upon us, he gives us the grace to what? To make known his way among the people. That the fear of God causes praise because of the justices that he establishes righteously. And the mission is that the fruit of his glory will yield a harvest and that many people to the ends of the earth will come to salvation 
and be blessed as he uses us. This is the purpose of his rich blessing. It's not that we deserve it. We don't deserve this. But he so chooses to use us. God does not bless us so that we can be self-absorbed in these blessings, in these graces. He blesses us so that we can make his priorities our own. He blesses us so that we can give him public praise and that use his blessings in such a way that others will see him for who he is and be compelled to take him seriously, revere him. So in conclusion, this psalm begins with a prayer of blessing and ends with an assurance of blessing. See, Jesus will rule and he will reign and we are going to heaven and we will be ruling and reigning with him in his kingdom on earth and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a great destiny ahead of us and the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the labors are few. Psalm 68 is a psalm of David. He's describing a great celebration that goes along with an answered prayer. And this battle march of God's victorious armies, uh, he's reflecting uh, victories of the past. This psalm also includes prayer, thanksgiving, praise, and a reminder that the battle is his. The battle is his, but it also means that we are victorious because he will overcome. It is said, though, that this psalm has been the favorite of many in times of persecution, that the Holy Spirit tonight, I pray, would come and minister and help you reflect back during a time when the Lord moved in your life and how he answered your prayers and how he provided victory. There's three triumphal processions here we're going to see in this psalm. First, in verses 1 through 16, we're going to see a victorious nation. A victorious nation. 17 and 18, a victorious Savior. And then verses 19 through 35, a victorious singer. Verse 1. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. David here is beginning in prayer both against God's enemies and for his people. That's what we see here a lot in the Psalms, right? Is God, I mean, sorry, is David continually praying against his enemies. He starts here by saying, let God arise. See, it's when God arises that his enemies scatter. Like smoke, they are blown away. Like wax, they they melt. But the righteous, you and I, we are glad and we can exceedingly rejoice because he will execute justice on the earth because of his presence. And he's coming back. He's coming back soon. And we will see it. We're going to witness it. Verses 4 through 6 here, we see, Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. By his name, Yah, Yahweh, God Almighty. And rejoice before him. I love these verses. A father of the fatherless. A defender of widows. 
is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. He proceeds, David, here to praise, which is going to take up the rest of this psalm, praise, calling upon God. And we see in verse 4, he says, sing to God or exult him. Rejoice before him. Yah, Abba, Daddy. Verse 5, a father of the fatherless, a protector of the widows. How timely is this message, right, with just serving families where their parents are incarcerated or the orphanages that we're supporting as well and the school districts to where we see a generation where many missing fathers, single mothers, but here God's word says he's a father to the fatherless, a protector of the widows. He sets the solitary into families and leads the prisoners into prosperity. I like that part where it says the solitary into families. It's not just moving someone into a a home, or sorry, into a house. He's moving them into a home. There's a difference, right? It's not an orphan going from house to house. No, he sets the solitary into a home. See, God cares for those who have lost families, especially the orphans and the widows, And so should we. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord has opened up the door for us this Sunday to serve these families, to love them, to show them the love of Christ. That is pure and undefiled religion, as James 1.27 says. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Verse 7 Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched, sorry, verse, yeah, verse seven. Oh God, when you, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, we see here, the earth shook or it trembled. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, oh God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you, confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. Look at all these promises here. These are just amazing promises. As David, David's prayer continues here, speaking of God's deliverance uh, to the people of Israel by recalling the past. But we see here just, again, his faithfulness. You guys see the faithfulness of God in your life? Do you guys recall the deliverance of your past as you sit here? His faithfulness. What does he say in verse 7? He goes before us and he leads us. When you went out, when you marched, he goes before us and he leads us. Verse 8, and the earth shook and the heavens also dropped rain in the presence of God. He provides and sends forth, speaking of his provision. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, sent a plentiful rain. He always sends, doesn't he, plentiful, abundantly, above and beyond. Whereby you confirmed your inheritance. 
He confirms our inheritance through his word every single day as you spend time with him. Even when we are weary, your congregation dwelt in it. You, oh God, what? Provide. He provides because of his goodness. It's not ours. We don't deserve this. We are unworthy. We're wretched. We fall short. But he provides because of his goodness. God sustains his covenant people. And just like he led the Israelites in the desert after the exodus from Egypt, he refreshes even in the wilderness as he leads his people to the promised land. And this is our victory. Verse 11, the Lord gave the the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee. They flee and she who remains at home divides the spoil. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalman. A mountain of God is the mountain of Basham. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Basham. Why do you fume with envy the mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. Those verses are a little tough to understand, right? You're like, what's going on there? But we're seeing here the victory is being proclaimed here. The victory is being proclaimed. The Lord gave the word and, the, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Proclaimed it. We see here that David in verse 16, uh, he's, he's figuratively speaking, describing of the mountain of Bashan as being jealous of Mount Zion. Of Mount Zion, a place where we know that God had uh, chosen for his special presence before Israel. Mount Zion you know, is, is, is really funny is that if you Google it, it's not much of a mountain at all. Uh, we would consider it more like a hill. It looks like it's not, it's not a mountain, that's a hill. <laughs> but uh, what God chooses is rarely what we choose. And what God sees with the eternal, we see with the temporal. And, you know, God, you know, he chose us, right? Imperfect people. We're not that impressive. And which reminds me of 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, we see here, Paul says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God, and neither should we. We should not boast or think highly of ourselves like Mount Bashan, because it's by God's grace that we're able to be used. Verses 17 and 18, as we continue, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, the Lord God might, that the Lord God might dwell there. 
Here's a prophecy concerning Jesus, the victorious Savior, as we see here in these verses. Verse 18, actually, the Lord is, uh, is a picture that Paul quotes in Ephesians chapter 4. We see here that the Lord of heaven's armies, with the chariots of 20,000, even thousands of thousands, he ascended in triumph like a mighty conqueror, receiving tribute. When, again, Paul quotes this verse in Ephesians 4, emphasizing that when Christ victoriously rose from the dead, he ascended to the heaven. He ascended to heaven. But he also rescues those who were captive and gave them spiritual gifts so that they can serve him and others in his church. That chapter continues a couple of verse later in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. We as God's children are a part of that spiritual army. And every day he's calling us to march in that triumphal procession and to proclaim that inheritance. And we are seated with him in the heavenlies. But while we're here, he's given us spiritual gifts to serve him on earth. And now as we go through the last part, the victorious singers, the praise and the worship, we see in verse 19, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits the God of our salvation. The grace of God who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation. See, there's beautiful blessings of being his servant as we walk in Christ Jesus. He daily benefits us. He pours it out daily in spite of us. Daily, he loads us with benefits. The grace of God. So from the first verse, uh, the first 19 verses in this psalm prophetically is about Christ's ascension. And now we are going to transition into his descension as we see. Just like Acts 1.11, where the angels are speaking to the men of Galilee, he says, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from, from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 20, our God is the God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong, escapes from death. Our God is the God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong, escapes from death. He alone saves and delivers and rescues us from death. Verse 21, but God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on, in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Basham, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood, and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. See, God is going to wound the head of our enemies. And David is praising God because daily he bears his burdens, he provides salvation which is of deliverance in the old testament salvation and he defeats his enemies and when he comes again he's going to come back and he's not going to come back as a suffering servant 
but as a conquering king. Verse 24 through 27, we see perhaps a description of a celebration here of when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into the sanctuary. It's a symbol of God's presence. Verse 24, they have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my king, into the sanctuary. Look at that worship there, my God and my king. The singers went before. The players on instruments followed after. Among them, the maidens playing timbrels. Bless God in the congregations, the Lord from the fountain of Israel. There is little Benjamin, their leader, the princes of Judah and their company, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Procession singers are now in the front, followed by instruments, as we can see here in this picture, followed by these maidens playing on their timbrels, describing the worship of God in the sanctuary. And it's too going to be us one day just worshiping God. Holy, holy, holy is the God and Lord Almighty. Verse 28, your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. We see her rejoicing because of the victory. The processional tribes of Israel are present here and we too can rejoice looking forward to this kingdom age where kings from foreign lands are going to pay tribute to him. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess And as we see here in these last few verses of this psalm, it's a foreshadowing where those kingdoms of earth will praise God for his power, for his majesty, because he will reign and the world will universally worship God in the temple of Jerusalem. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides on the heavens, to him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice, a mighty voice, ascribes strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are more awesome than your holy places. Then God, the God of Israel, is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. The glorious worship in the kingdom age and the congregation, us, as we come to worship God. See, these great victories were nothing new to Israel, for God had been with them from the beginning. He delivered them from Egypt and he led them through the wilderness into the promised land. He gave them Mount Zion and he dwelt there with them. And he sent his son who descended and dwelt among us. And he ascended, and he's coming back. And in light of what he has done for us with past victories, and in light of our great need for him and continual strength, in light of his soon return, let us cry out with David with praise, blessed be God.
Psalm 69 here, a psalm of David, the psalm is a psalm of desperation, a psalm of suffering. It's penned by David when he was considered to be lamenting because he was surrounded by trouble and affliction. It's actually the second most quoted psalm in the New Testament next to Psalm 22. And many believe that David is writing about some of his events, or he is writing about some of his events from his experience. But simultaneously, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write in a prophetic way that goes hand in hand with the life of Christ. And uh, like Psalm 22, this psalm provides glimpses of the suffering Messiah. It's a a messianic psalm and uh, a psalm of prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. And what is amazing is to keep this in perspective that David wrote this 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. That's pretty interesting. But we see that here David's urgent plea is going to be for help. Uh, as trouble begins, as he expresses here uh, sinking, being overwhelmed, reproached, but he responds with singing, with praise, with worship. The psalm goes from prayer to praise, from reproach to rejoicing, and we're going to see here uh, how David pours out his heart to God. Verses 1 We see, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Where there is no standing, I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for God. In this psalm here, we're going to see a prayer of desperation, a prayer of God's judgments upon his persecutors, well, again, we're going to see a vow to praise. David starts here by saying, save me, O God. He's calling out. He's lamenting. And in the storms of life, when you feel or when you find yourself in a situation like David, and many of us have, and maybe even this year, when you feel like you're, what, verse 1, sinking, or verse 2, sinking, in the deep waters overwhelmed and exhausted from crying when you feel all is failing God invites us to cry out to him for deliverance verse 4 through 12 we're going to see the reason for this situation verse 4 those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head they are mighty who would destroy me being my enemies wrongfully though I have stolen nothing I still must restore it. We're going to see here now, out of David's suffering, that the Lord is revealed. That the Lord reveals his son. It says here that, verse 4, those who hate me without a cause. That's quoted by Jesus in John 15, 25. Verse 5, oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. David, obviously talking about his sins because Our Lord was perfect and sinless, but prophetically Jesus here knew that he was going to take the sins of the world upon him, all of humanity upon his shoulders. Verse 6, let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded. 
because of me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne a reproach. Shame has covered my face. We see here that David is enduring insults because of the Lord, and many of you, I'm sure, are persecuted because you proclaim to live a life of holiness, of righteousness, following the Lord Jesus Christ. And David here, he's enduring these insults. He was suffering for righteousness' sake, which is the only kind of suffering that God wants us to undergo. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 8, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. We see here that this is, uh, again, prophetically Jesus speaking of Mary, his mother, right? He doesn't say my father. And he says my mother's children, speaking of his brothers, right? Mary had other children. Jesus had half-brothers. And they didn't believe him. We saw that through the Gospels. They didn't believe him. In Mark 3.21, it says he's out of his mind. It wasn't until the resurrection that they believed. Verse 9 is quoted in John 2. It says, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Again, quoted in John chapter 2, when Jesus went into the temple and he made a whip and he overturned tables and drove out the money changers because they had made his father's house a house of thieves. This is the radical Jesus, the hardcore Jesus that we follow. The Jesus that drove out the money changers. The Jesus that made a whip and overturned tables. This is not a Jesus with rosy red cheeks and a baby lamb on his shoulders. right? This is Jesus who says here, zeal for your house has eaten me up. It ate him up because he saw the terrible things that were taking place in the house of God. And I wonder what his reaction would be today as we see these churches and what they do. What would eat him up? And it's an exhortation for us as Christians to get radical spiritually and to drive out the money changers in our own souls and to quit excusing carnality and letting sin go unchecked. As his people, we need to check others in love. Being like Christ and driving away those who are ripping off God's people. Verse 10 says, When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made a sackcloth, my garment. I became a byword to them. We see here, even today, I, I can't be on a work call without say, someone saying Jesus Christ in a blasphemous way. Or someone um, under the influence saying his name in vain. We see that all around us, right? I became a byword to them, blaspheming his name, using his name in vain. Verse 12, it says, Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards, just making fun of Christ. But as for me, David says, My prayer is to you, O Lord. In the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me 
Be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. David is going to hear he's pleading for God's favor in accordance with his faithful love. And he's going to answer his prayer, but in his acceptable time, God's acceptable time. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, right, is to wait and to continue to trust the Lord in his time in accordance to his steadfast love, as we see here in verse 13. Verse 14 again says, deliver me out of the mire. David here, he's sinking. And, you know, he's painting a picture here. He's sinking that he's in deep waters, Verse 15 says, let not the flood water overflow me, nor, the, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let, the, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. We can see here that David is overwhelmed, right? Can you imagine that picture of you being swept by flood waters, sinking, where you can't feel nothing below you. You can't stand on anything. But, Here's an awesome picture here. Probably my favorite verses in, the, in this chapter, verses 16 through 18. As David cries out, Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to, your, to the multitude of your tender mercies. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You guys see that? Hear me. Turn to me. Do not hide your face. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul. Redeem it. Deliver me, for I am in trouble. It's when we feel helpless and we are suffering and we're in anguish and we don't have the words to pray. Look at these three verses and pray it back to God. Make David's prayer your own. And now the reproach of David's situation. Here we see David says, You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. For the, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. We know that God is omniscient. He knows all things. He sees all things. He knows our reproach. He knows our adversaries, right? But here we see, uh, again, prophetically, um, first and foremost, that David here had a broken heart, but who also had a broken heart, who died of a broken heart. Jesus, he suffered from a broken heart. Death by a heart rupture was a broken heart when he was speared and water and blood came out. He looked for comforters, but there was none. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he looked behind and to see Peter, James, and John falling asleep. No comforters. He couldn't find one. His disciples were sleeping. Verse 21 is awesome because this... Uh, there's another prophecy fulfilled. It's actually mentioned in all four gospel accounts. Really cool. 
when Jesus was offered vinegar and gall to quench his thirst on the cross. But he tasted it, and what did he do? He refused it. He would not have this drug or alcohol dull his pain. He was taken upon all of the pain of the world on the cross. And we have to remember that that the purpose that God has in allowing his people to suffer is that we would become more like Jesus, right? That we would become more like him. We're going to see now the prayer for God's judgment upon his persecutors. Again, David, again, you know, he, he brings before God uh, prayers against his enemies. But he holds that revenge not in his own hands. He brings it before God. He puts it in the hands of God. Verse 22, let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. This is quoted in Romans. Verse 23, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. In attacking King David, the enemies were also rebelling against God and inviting their own judgment. And that's what takes place when your enemies come against you. They're not only coming against you, they're coming against the child of God. Verse 25, quoted in Acts 1.20, in reference to Judas, let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. For they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded and iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted, and this is serious here, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and, and not be written with the righteous. Wow. David goes really hardcore there, right? Again, David's not seeking avenge, not seeking not to avenge himself against his enemies, but he's leaving the vengeance to God. And he prays that they would be punished both in history but in eternity. He says, let them be blotted out of the book of life. Revelation 3, remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I came upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, speaking of the church in Sardis that became cold and lethargic. Here, John is quoting in Revelation 3. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. I love that. You will confess our name before the father and before the angels because your name is written in the book of life. Now here again, we end this psalm uh, as a vow to praise. He's praising. We see here, but I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull. 
which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. Who sees this? The humble shall see this. It's those that recognize that they're sinners, that repent, that are poor in spirit, who seek the Lord daily. Their hearts shall live. What does 1 John 5, 12, 12 tell us? He who has the Son has life. Verse 33 through 36, as we end this psalm, it says, For the Lord hears the poor, and he does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall what? Dwell in it. This is the plan for Israel, the Jew, and the plan for you and I. He has a plan for us. Here we see in this psalm that he gives us understanding. He gives us revelation, insight, and and a poetic feeling of what David was dealing with. And we can relate to that, can't we? But may we not fall asleep like Peter, James, and John, but keep our eyes steadfast on the Lord in praise and worship. And as we quickly go through these next five verses, as we end tonight in Psalm 70, again, another prayer for relief from the adversaries. This is very similar to Psalm 40. It's repeated in Psalm 40. But it's interesting here is because David... He's going, to, he's going to pray for relief, but he's going to end again in joy. He's going to end in joy. And we too have joy in God, even in the midst of trouble, and again, suffering. And David comes and he asks him with urgency. He asks him with urgency. He says in verse 1, verse 1, he says, Make haste, O God, deliver me. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Hurry, God, and rescue me. Deliver me and help me. David asked God here to move quickly. But again, it's, it's God's timing, right? But right here, we see the time is of the end since, God, I need you right now. God, make haste, hurry, and deliver me. Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Those who seek his life and his hurt. And we see here in verse 3, it says, let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, Aha, or oh, I told you so. And we see here, again, time is of the essence, but his trust and his hope are still on the Lord. And here we see our joy again in God in these last two verses. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. The joy of those who seek and love him. We can can rejoice and be glad. 
And we can continue to say, praise the Lord, glory to the Father, and let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Again, when the issues are pressing us and we really need the Lord to respond, he knows our urgency. He knows our need. But all we have to do is cry out to him and trust him for his perfect timing and for his answers. As we're pressed for time, we look at this psalm and we just say, God, let you be magnified in my suffering, in my trials, in my tribulations. See, God, so you see David here, he was in a hurry when he wrote this psalm, as we can see. He's even short, there's only five, five verses. He wrote this brief psalm and we know that God is never in a hurry though. He's always on time, his time. And David, three times, he cries out, make haste, make haste, make haste, God. Please hear me, hurry up, God, do not delay. But like Peter sinking in the water, again, he didn't have time for a long prayer. He said, God, save me. God doesn't delay in answering our prayers. He knows us exactly where we're at in that desperate situation. Hebrews 4.16 says that he promises to give us grace and help, and help in time of need. His timing is never wrong. His, delay, his delays are, not, are neither denials nor defeats. Even Joseph in prison had to wait for God to free him and then reconcile him, reconcile him to his brothers. Israel had to wait for deliverance from Egypt and Moses had to wait through 10 difficult plagues before Pharaoh would let them go. Joshua and Caleb had to wait 40 years before claiming their inheritance and the delay was not even their fault. David had to wait to receive his throne. Mary and Martha had to wait for Jesus to come to Bethany and while they waited, their brother died. But God is not in a hurry, even when we are. And his schedule is better than ours. And what we are to do is to anchor our trust in him in his promises and to continue to praise him in spirit and in truth. Father, we come before you, Lord God, and we thank you, God, for your word.